All right. So we are in Second uh, Kings chapter 6 is where we are. Uh, where we left off last week, we were talking about uh, where the, the Syrian king has been trying to make inroads into Israel. He's, in other words, he's trying to ambush the Israelites. But Elisha's back there. Elisha has this, this uh, GPS system or something. No, he's hearing from God. He's got this deal from God, right? There's, you know, God was the original satellite. He was the one sending signals down like we have today, right? God was the one sending it down, showing Elisha uh, what the Syrians were doing. And so he said, Elisha, tell the king not to send the troops there. And so just to make a long story short, the, the Syrian king begins to think that he has a mole in his camp, or in other words, someone who's given the information away. And so he begins to question. He begins to ask, who in the world's doing this? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And he says, none of us. One of the, one of the servants said, none of us, Lord. None of us are the ones that's uh, uh, giving, giving your uh, positions away. None of us are, are talking about you, but that, that guy, Elisha. Now, he's been telling everybody, the Lord's telling him everything that you do in your bedroom. Every, every, in other words, even in the, the most secluded places that you are, the most private places that you are, God is telling uh, Elisha what you're doing. Now, when we, when we come on down through this and, and, and the, the guy comes down, he, he starts asking who's doing it. He says that nobody is doing it. And, and so when he finds out that it's Elisha who is actually telling, uh, telling them, where, giving them the, the, the inside account or the inside scoop of what's happening, this king tries to make a, a, a way to capture Elisha. They find that he's in a place called Dothan, and, then, and so he says, you get your troops together, go to Dothan, I want you to capture Elisha. Now, this is really stupid. Why is this stupid? Well, but why, what, the king, the Syrian king, He's all, Elisha's already been, God's already been telling Elisha what you're doing up to this point. What makes you think that he's not going to tell Elisha that you're on your way after him, right? I mean, he, he's, he's sitting there and God's like, hey, Elisha, they're on their way. And God's like, I mean, Elisha's like, okay, man, no problem. But, but the Syrians, they still go. They're still going. Uh, now, we don't have any, any reason to believe that this, this king wanted to, murder Elisha or anything like that. The only thing that really makes sense to me after I've gone through this several times, it makes me think that the king actually wants Elisha to come and work for him. Like, so if he's going to capture him, bring him back, almost as if he's a sorcerer or something, and you start working for me and tell me what's going on so I can make inroads into Israel and we can defeat them. He ought to be going and saying, thank you for, for curing my man Naaman, right? Thank you for healing him. Thank you for helping him. But that's not the idea. That's not the situation. So the king from Syria decides to go after Elisha. So whenever he's going to Elisha and he's going to uh, make inroads in there to try to capture Elisha, this is what comes up in verse number 15. All right? So I want somebody to read verse 15 to 17, and then we're going to start dissecting these scriptures. Verse 15 to 17. Chipper's got it. And when the servant of the man of God arose early that morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, 
So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Amen. So what, this is where we were at last week, and I, and I told you, I identified that there, that although there's a lot about this story that we don't know, we do know that there are two men in this house, right? And remember, we don't, we don't have the name of Elisha's servant, so we're just calling the guy Bob. Just keep it simple. We're going to call him Servant Bob, all right? So you've got Bob and you've got Elisha who are inside this house. Not only do you have two men, but what else did I say? You have two what? Two characters. You've got one guy who is frantic, panicked, upset, like what are we going to do, right? You, you only have to look right there in verse number 16 where he says, Lord, what are we going to do? We've we got to get up. We've got to get out of here. So you've got that panic, frantic uh, character that's there in Servant Bob. And then you have Elisha who is cool as a cucumber. He's calm. He's not worried about anything at all. So what is it? The, the point that I wanted to try to make to you is that what is it that we need to focus on? What is it that makes the big difference between the two men? There's something that always makes the difference all the time. Something makes the difference between you and me. Something makes the difference between uh, two sides of anything, all, always. Uh, John Maxwell uh, wrote a, a book one time. And it was called The Difference Maker. And as he went down through his book, uh, he, he, it's one of my all-time favorite books, and I encourage you to read it, The Difference Maker. He says that the difference maker is always the attitude. Whatever attitude you have, and, he, and he's talking about in leadership, okay? So the attitude is always the difference maker. Now you think about the attitude that you have when you face any given cir circumstance or situation. Does the attitude matter? The way that you face a situation. Andy, if you had an upset customer come to you, whether they wanted to buy a car or not, does your attitude matter? The way that you respond back to them, does it change anything? It makes all the difference in the world. And it, it doesn't matter if you're a car salesman like Andy, a vacuum salesman like John, or a welder like somebody else that, that's in a, a tight. It, it makes no difference who you are. You're dealing with people. So when you're dealing with people, your attitude makes all the difference. If you've got a sour attitude, they've got a sour attitude, you know two sour attitudes make an explosion. It's just going to explode and things are going to get out of hand. But the difference that comes between these two guys, I see, is a word called peace. There's a difference in peace between these two men. Now, I read to you a little bit about an article that was written back in 1987. It was called The Jumpers of 29. You know that The Jumpers of 29 led into the Great Depression of the 1930s, all the way through the 30s. When the stock market crashed, people started committing suicide, jumping out of buildings, things like that. Now, the people that jumped out of those buildings and committed suicide, if they shot themselves, whatever it is that they did, was, was, was their hope in something other than... Jesus Christ? They had to have, because if their hope was in Jesus Christ, they would, they would still be around today unless, unless something else happened and they died, okay? But uh, if their hope was in Jesus Christ, they wouldn't have taken the plunge and just jumped out of the building because their hope 
was put in something else. They had a hope in material things, things that were going to pass away. And whenever we are children of God and we have given our hearts to Jesus Christ and we become a child of God and we are born into the kingdom of God, there's a difference that comes into our life. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The difference that comes into our life whenever we have become a child of God. So look at the scriptures again. Verse 15. He says, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? It's easy to see panic in those words. Panic, frustration, nervousness. Verse 16, Elisha says, don't be afraid. You see peace here. You see this peace. I believe the difference is peace. Now, I want, I want to read to you Romans chapter 14, verses 17 to 19. It's a, it's a good scripture. It's something important that you uh, should pay attention to. Paul said this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, pause there a minute. The kingdom of God, I'm going to get there, but it's not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, Paul, Paul's talking to a group of people who's getting upset about the kind, of moot, the kind of meat they eat, the kind of food that they eat. He's talking about a mature Christian. He's talking about a Christian that's immature. He says, which one of you should be willing to give up? Which one of you? Should it, should it be the immature Christian or should it be the mature Christian? It should always be the mature Christian. You know why? Because it doesn't make any difference if you think it's okay to eat pork or not. You know that you can go home, cook you some ribs, cook you a butt roast, sit down, eat you a pulled pork sandwich if you want to, and it's not going to send you to hell. But if you are sitting across the table from someone who could be deterred away from the Christian faith because they have not matured enough in themselves to know that it's okay for them to eat a piece of pork, you should be strong enough in your faith to say, you know what? I can do without pork tonight. You understand what I'm saying? And that comes down to whether you drink a beer, a glass of wine, or anything. If you get to the point to where it is coming, if, if your glass of wine is coming between you winning someone to the Lord or pushing them away from the Lord, you should be strong enough in your faith to say, you know what? I don't need a glass of wine that bad. If your cigarette keeps you from leading someone to the Lord or pushing someone away, you should be mature enough in your faith to say, you know what, I don't need that cigarette. Are you following what I'm saying? So Paul says the kingdom of God is not futile things. It's not about eating and drinking. Look at what he says. He says it is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is not about the stuff that you think is okay. Get over yourself. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. It is about having peace. And it is about having joy. Verse 18, Paul goes on to say, Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Verse 19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I want again... I might not get through with this tonight. We might have to do it again next week. All right? But I want us to think about the kingdom of God. Think about the kingdom. I halfway spoke about this a little bit last Wednesday. But think about the kingdom. When you think about the kingdom and you are kingdom-minded, if you become a person who is kingdom-minded, are you focused on your little self or are you focused on the grander thing? 
If you're kingdom-minded, are you focused here or are you focused out there? Which one is it? Is it the big or the small? It's the big. Is it eating and drinking or is it righteousness, peace, and joy in the kingdom? It's not about what you what you consume or how you pray or what you pray. It's about people coming to righteousness, coming to peace, and having joy. What does the Bible say that a person, when they receive salvation, what do they receive in themselves? It says that the righteous are the ones who are added to the Lamb's book of life. Right? Does the Bible say that whenever a person is saved and they know God, that he brings a peace in Philippians, a peace that surpasses understanding. But it only comes to a person who's a part of the kingdom. What does David say? David says, Lord, God said that David's a, 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 a man after my own heart. And David said, Lord, return to me the joy of thy salvation. Give me joy. All these things that I'm telling you about is when salvation comes, when a person is saved, they are born into the kingdom of God. They are adopted in the kingdom of God. They are, they are taken from this place of being lost to a place of being found, and they are in the kingdom of God, and instantly they have to be made righteous. Not, not right in your eyes and in my eyes, but in God's eyes. They, have to have, they, they automatically have peace, and they have joy. Let me give you an example of somebody who has peace. As somebody who knows that they were lost on their deathbed, about to die, and they know that they're heading to hell. And a preacher walks in, kneels down beside their bed, and this person's crying. I'm telling you a true story. Walks in, this person's crying. He kneels down beside their bed. He grabs this young lady's hand, and he says, what are you crying about? And she says, I'm scared to death to die. What are you afraid of dying, this preacher says. What, why are you so afraid of dying? Because I know that I'm not right with Jesus. This Instantly, this, she says what needs, to be, what needs to be made obvious. Like, when, it, when you know you're dying, you don't have time to play around, do you? you don't have, all this time out here, you've been playing around. All this time, it comes all the way down to when you are about to die, and now all of a sudden, you realize that it's time to get serious. You don't have time to play around. I know I'm not right with Jesus. Preacher says, what does it take to get right with Jesus? Young lady says, I have to confess my sin and ask him to forgive me, don't I? Yes, that's what you need to do. What I'm trying, I'm, I'm leading, making a long story short. This is what I did with a young lady who knew without a shadow of a doubt that she was lost. She was in turmoil. She was crying. She begged God to save her soul and forgive her. And it was like there was two different people in that room from the time that I walked in to the time that I left. There was something that happened inside of her that changed her. It changed her. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9, in case you want to look it up. The Bible tells us that it's with it's with your mouth. It's, it's the Holy Spirit drawing you, right? It has to be the Holy Spirit drawing you because there's no other way that you can come to salvation. But when, when you do come into salvation, and you're, guys, you have to understand, everybody that says, Lord, Lord, 
has not come into salvation. Jesus said that. Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that. So just because somebody professes Jesus Christ, they cry at an altar, just because somebody gets baptized doesn't mean they're saved. All right? Don't, don't get confused about that. You, I, I may not ever know. You, you know if you're saved or not. You know. But judgment day is going to tell it all. That's, that's going to be the one that tells it. Your, your actions, the way you live your life, those are the things that, that tell those things, okay? But those of you that have accepted Christ in your heart, and you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're saved, and you're on the road, the road of sanctification, the process of sanctification, you feel changes happening in your life every day. You're coming to a men's group on Wednesday night, you're hearing the word preached, you're coming on Sunday, you're hearing it, you're worshiping God, and little bit by little bit, there's something that's happening inside you. Does it, does it make you feel good? Why? It gives you peace. It gives you, it gives you peace. Knowing Jesus Christ is in your life gives you peace. Does a person have peace if they lay their head down on their pillow at night and they believe without a shadow of a doubt? They have faith knowing because, because they've, they have done what the Bible requires them to do to, to attain salvation. Is there peace in a person's mind and in their heart and in their life when they lay their head down on the pillow? Do they have peace that if, that if I die tonight, I'm going to go to heaven? Yeah, you, yes. But what about the person that doesn't know what about the person who is strung out or a drunkard or is there a there's a turmoil that happens inside of them and the reason that they're in the place in the position that they are in life is because they are not at peace with who they are Do you understand what i'm trying to tell you people who are in the kingdom of god now you can agree with what i'm fixing to tell you or not okay people who are in the kingdom of god are not at torment they're not at torment. Those are people who are in the kingdom of Satan because the Bible says that he is a tormentor. He is one who, who just terrorizes. But those who are in the kingdom, they're at peace. It's not that they're at peace in the world that they live in. Jesus said, man, Tony was talking about a while ago, Jesus said, hey, if they hate me, you just better believe they're going to hate you. So you're not at peace in this world. You're at peace in your heart because you know who daddy is. And whenever you know who daddy is, and you know that daddy's taking care of things, there's a peace in your life that you didn't have before. Is there a difference in servant Bob and Elisha? Think about the difference. I don't know how long Bob's been around. The Bible doesn't tell us how long Bob's been around. We know who Elisha's servant was before, right? Jehazi, we know that greed took over in Jehazi's life. And because greed took over in his life, he was cursed with leprosy. And he ran off. We never hear from him again. Now, Bob has come into, into Elisha's life. And, and, and we don't know how much Bob has seen. We don't know what he has experienced. But we do know what Elisha has seen. We do know what Elisha has experienced. And we do know that this man Elisha, just by looking at verse 16, 
He says, dude, don't worry about them. Is that not what he says? He said, don't worry about this. Don't be afraid. But, Jehoi, but, but Bob's like, but you, you don't understand, Elisha. If you'd get up out of your recliner and quit drinking your sweet tea, you'd see that there are soldiers headed down here to wipe us off the map, Elisha. Elisha, you apparently are deaf because you still aren't moving, Elisha. Elisha, the ball game is not that important, Elisha. You ought to get up and come see what's happening, Elisha. Elisha's like, dude, don't worry about them. But what does he, what does he say? Those who are with us are way more than those who are with them. Elisha's seen a few things, right? He's been through a few things. He understands, and he knows that he's been right with God. He's been living his life right for God. Whether everybody else likes him or not, it doesn't make any difference because he's not answering to everybody else. He's answering to God. And man, how, how freeing is it, that it that to know that you don't have to be bound by the chains of legalism inside of a church. You don't have to be bound by all the things everybody else says about you. If you are living your life right for God, He's the one, right? He's the one that you have to live for. How much peace does that bring? How much freedom does that bring? Man, it's unbelievable. The Bible says that it's unexplainable, the freedom that God brings. And so you think about, these two different characters, one who is spazzing out, nervous, and just paranoid. And then you got this other one who knows daddy is going to take care of it. Yes. That's right. He knew everything was going to be fine. But you but you think about you think about Jesus as well. You know, Jesus is God incarnate, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. So he he are, he are, the, Jesus said himself, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means that he's like, dude, I'm I, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. it Lazarus is going to be there when I get there. He's dead. He's not going anywhere. This is where he's at. You know, but I, I can see what you're saying. Elisha's just not worried about it. But whenever you have this peace that I'm talking to you about, when you have this peace in believing. That God is who He says He is. There's just a peace in your mind. You know, Russell, it's not that you don't believe in God, but He actually said that if you have the faith the size of a small seed, a mustard seed, you can ask a mountain to be moved out of your life, and it will be thrown from here into the depths of the ocean. He said that much faith can make that happen. And He can show you what, what job to have. What job to take? Having peace in your life make you lay down tonight and you won't worry about it. Do you have that peace right now? Don't answer me. You don't have to answer me. But when you have that kind of peace, when you have the peace that Elisha had, 
You lay your head down at night, you're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what job I'm going to take. God knows, and he's going to show me. But you have to be listening and pay attention, don't you? You have to be aware. You've got to be a part of this. And you have to be in communion with God all the time so that God can guide you and lead you and direct you where he needs you to go. Peace. That's Philippians 4, 7, I think, if you guys want to make a note. Uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Is that Philippians 4, 7? Philippians, I think I got. It is. Philippians 4, 7, if y'all wanted to know. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Brother John. Right. Man. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. That's right. Guys, and what Brother John's telling you about this guy with those cigarettes, cold turkey. Yes. He laid three packs down a day, and he, he has testified to me about this multiple times. Every day he gets up and he prays about Jesus setting the captive free, and he thanks him for doing it. And it's been three years since he's touched a cigarette. That's, it's just amazing. And when people say that it's not possible, uh, you just, you're, you're, doubting, you're, 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 you're doubting the ability of God. Yes, it was going to kill him. Amen. Amen. You know, Isaiah 48, 22 says this, There is no peace for the wicked. So someone whose heart's wicked, you know, Jeremiah actually says that the heart is deceitfully wicked and there's no cure for it. And so whenever Isaiah says that, that there, there is no peace for the person that's wicked, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, it's like if your heart remains wicked, you're going to be in turmoil the rest of your life. Opposite of peace is, 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 is what? what? What is it? War? Yeah I, yeah, I guess so. The opposite of peace would be war. Uh, because you're, you're going to be constantly fighting, battling something, you know. So John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I live with, leave with you, peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives brings you to a place to where you do not have to fear. You don't have to fear the things that are happening in this world, the people that are coming against you. You don't have to fear all those things. There's just something about peace that comes from God that cannot be attained any other way. You just can't. I know I'm not going to get done with all this, guys, but I understand that salvation to an extent, it brings about peace in a person's life. No doubt. When a person is, is saved, they experience a peace in their life that they've never experienced before. But even after salvation, there is a growth of peace that God brings in your life. This growth of peace that happens in your life is because you go through life now with a different mindset. Before Jesus came into your life and changed you, you relied on yourself. We all do. 
We rely on what we can do, things that we can accomplish, things that we can achieve. But when you give your heart to Jesus and there's truly a change in your life, all of a sudden you get to this place in your life where you're like, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to act? What do you want me to say? And now all of a sudden you've gone from being this person who ran things in your life to now you're a person who's allowing God to run things in your life. And it makes a difference with you. Now, I want to close with this thought. When you don't have to worry about anything, what do you have to worry about? Would that bring peace? So if, if God is true, if Jesus Christ is true in what He says, right there in John 14, 7 that I just told you about, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. I do not give you as the world gives you. What does the world give you? It's not peace, is it? The world's not giving you peace. The world's wanting to give you debt, chains, chaos, turmoil, heartache. That's what I'm saying. Yes, good word. The opposite of peace is chaos. That'd be the same thing. That's war. That's the war going on inside you. So when, if Jesus' words are true, peace I leave with you, peace I give you, peace I leave with you, I don't give it to you as the world gives you. But I'm going to give you this peace. Let your hearts not be troubled and do not be afraid. So if, if you are a child of God in the kingdom of God and daddy is the king and daddy is taking care of everything, he's taking away everything that you have to worry about, what do you have to worry about? If there's nothing to worry about, why do we keep worrying? I'm not saying that we don't have cares in this world. We do have cares. We have things that we worry about. But I believe because I am, I am a, I'm a product of what I'm telling you about. I know how to worry. I know how to let things just eat away at me. We all do. It's part of human nature. But Jesus says that worrying doesn't add one inch to your height. It doesn't add one day to your life. If anything, it takes it away. It'll kill you, right? So if you... If you are a child of God, rest, rest in this tonight. He is in control. He is in control. And guys, if, you, if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling with handing it over to God so that He can take care of it, if you're struggling with that tonight, you need to just come to this place in your mind where you say, God, I know that I cannot do it. I know I can't do it. I've been worrying about it all this time. But I need peace. Whenever all hell surrounds my house and wants to come in and capture me like he was at Elisha's house. Help me, Lord, to sit back in the recliner and say, I know that you have this because you love me, you care for me, and you're not going to let this come against me. Because what does the Bible say? What weapon that is formed against us shall prosper? None.
right. That's true. Yeah. Anything can become another God to you. Anything that you put before, before God. That's right. That's right. Let me give you let me let me give let me give you a scenario to kind of wrap up what Daniel's saying, and I, I just wanna I wanna challenge you on this to have no other gods before me. Okay? Now uh, no doubt Elisha had no other God before God. There there's no way, you know, even even though we we realize and we say that you cannot be saved unless it's through the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. We believe that. But there was no Jesus Christ's name in Elisha's day. He didn't have a clue who Jesus was. He was on the up and up because he was on the right channel, right line with God, right? So he he was he was bound by God's law, and, and God's law is what made things right or wrong with Elisha. I, Elisha had no other gods before him. Let me ask any one of you men here, do you love your kids? Would you do anything for them? Do you... Do you, you may not love your job, but are you glad you got it? What about your money? How many of you love your money? Are you glad you got your money? It's okay to say yes, because I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'm glad to have mine. But when we put those things before God, doesn't it become God's competition? We pray that God will bless our children, do we not? But we put them before God. We keep putting them before God. We pray, God, I need, I need financial help, but we put our finances before God. God, I, I need a better job, but we put our job before God. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to close in prayer. What makes you think that God is going to bless his competition? So until you are willing to put them behind God, God can't bless them because they are in direct opposition to God as long as you're concerned quit putting them before God and blessings will pour out into your life it's biblical that's just the way way that it is brother Ron one last thought There's nothing wrong with that. And that's not the piece I'm talking about. Because all of us, all of us would be uh all of us would be guilty of that. Because if you if you half heartedly, if you halfway even care about your job and your work, you're gonna be concerned about what's happening tomorrow. You are gonna be. But if you get to the place to where you're worrying and it's causing you health problems, you are wrong. That's where the word that's where it comes in and it's wrong. But that that goes back to what even even Jesus told us. He told us about having work ethic in the in the Bible. It teaches about work ethic and doing doing right. That if a man pays you, give him a full day's work. All that stuff. That's in Matthew's Matthew chapter uh, seven, I think. I think it's in Matthew chapter seven. I'd have to look it up and find you the exact scripture. <laughs>